Welcome back to Ugly Girls Club. I am your host, Aniko. I know I have been gone for quite some time, but if you follow me on my Instagram, you'll be aware that I've been going through some deep family issues. But alas, I am happy to bring you another episode of Ugly Girls Club this week. This week, we'll be talking about date rape, social rape. This came about after I had a conversation with one some of my friends about this guy that I thought I really liked to only find out that he was a serial date social rapist. So this made me think about my own situation, my own experience in varsity. And as well, I'm sure there's so many other women who go through the same experience that I have had and some of the survivors of um, this so-called crush of mine as well. So with me on today's show is an amazing lady (laughs) all the way from Kenya, uh, Adele Onyango. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, And thank you for taking the initiative on your platform to have such an important conversation. For sure, for sure. Thank you also for coming onto the show. We know you are a very important person. <laughs> so I wanted you, because what I usually do, um, instead of introducing uh, the uh, the guest onto my show, I like to have um, the guests introduce themselves because mm. as women, we don't always speak about our accomplishments with our chest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I like to give people the opportunity to do so themselves, to introduce themselves to the audience, who they are, what they do, what makes them tick, what are some of the amazing accomplishments you have accomplished during this time um, on earth. Wow. And that's so true. I think, you know, it goes back to like conditioning and women were always you know condition to reduce ourselves i completely agree with you we never see it with our chest when it comes to what we've we've accomplished but um i i I am kenyan and i have been on radio in kenya for 10 years traditional radio that is um so i worked at a station called one fm and then moved to kiss fm where until last year in june i was um one of their breakfast show presenters um then I moved into podcasting because I turned 30 last year. The 30 is a year you do things that scare you. <laughs> and I also wanted to be able to create a platform where I had agency over the content I was creating and that I could host as many African voices and stories as possible. But I've also founded um, the Adele Onyango Initiative, which I founded Many years ago, but it was very, um, <laughs> in, in Kenya, we say juakali. That means it's like, it didn't really have a lot of structure. Um, and it was just emotive because I, I too, I am a survivor of, of rape. And so I was very angry that I didn't hear conversations around this um, happening in Kenya or even globally. I didn't think enough conversation was was happening around it. And then that led me to create a campaign called No Means No, which was just like driving conversations. But then that then grew into me saying, okay, in my own journey, I think going for therapy really did um, 
a lot for me in terms of unpacking my trauma and giving me coping mechanisms to navigate through healing. And so I decided to start connecting survivors of rape with free therapy. And it, again, was very Juakali. I just had friends who were therapists and connected um, survivors using Facebook um, DMs. But then in 2018, we officially launched. Um, and as of now, what the Adelo Nyango Initiative does is we have one program called Safe 247, which is a free group therapy program for survivors of rape. And then we have our youth section where we have just over 4,000 youth members and we just create workshops to be able to better prepare them for employment and or entrepreneurship. We give out scholarships when we can through our partners. Um, and we also have a job shadow program for our youth members. So that is the initiative side of things that I do. I don't really talk about like accolades and things like that because I guess those are all Googleable. But um, for me, it's just driving the African agenda and making sure that we talk about women's rights to safety, which is so wild that in 2020 that we have to demand and protest just so that we can be safe. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's what I do. No, when I was um, looking you up because I was searching on Google of like, who could I interview? And then your name popped up. Yeah. Um, and then when I was reading some of your bio and I was like, oh my gosh, like I really, I really look up to, to some of the stuff that you do. And I, I was saying to my friends, I really hope, because when I started Ugly Girls Club, it was exactly the same thing, just starting conversation mm. um, around these so-called awkward conversations people don't want to have. Yeah. Um, and doing something about it as well. I think that's also very important um, to not just talk, but also have a real impact in the community. And I True. really hope this podcast of mine um, gets to that at some point. Um, but to go straight into uh, the episode, um, I like to start with definitions so that our listeners understand where we're coming from, what we're talking about, what's the framework of the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and the first question, well, the first definition, according to what you think and your feelings around it, um, well, how and how would you describe social um, and date rape? Yeah, I think to, to first understand what date rape is, one has to understand what rape is, right? Um, yeah. Because yeah. that's that's a form of rape. It's one way in which it manifests. And so yeah. it's really, um, you know, obviously you see on social media people being confused about what rape is and what rape isn't. But I think that's more in terms of what people are comfortable with admitting or not, because it's very straightforward. It is sexual intercourse that is non-consensual. Um, mm -hmm. And it could be, there could be force or they may not be force, right? Like physical force. And it can happen when somebody has been drugged, if they're drunk. And it, it's, I only learned it that the that the definition goes even to as far as penetrative and things like that when i started working in my initiative in helping survivors of rape and through my project partners and it does include um penetrative 
and penetrative in terms of like the vagina, your anus or your mouth. And because a lot of people try and find ways in which to mask what's rape and what's really not rape. But it's, it's, it's sexual intercourse that's non-consensual. So then when you come to date rape, which is another area which is so blurred, and I, I think the reason it's blurred is because you find in most cases the perpetrator is somebody that you know. So it's always very conflicting to this person that you've known for however long. How do you start seeing them as a, a rapist? So it's somebody that you know, and it normally happens, again, it's sexual intercourse that's non-consensual, and it happens in a space where, you know, the two parties could have been romantically involved or potentially had some sort of relationship or knowledge of each other, right, previously. And so we see it happen, it's it's rampant, rampant across the board, but it happens a lot around the campus um spaces and many it's it's so crazy because i had a conversation with some young girls from a campus here in nairobi and they said if you had a conversation with women and young women in in campus and you asked who here has gotten raped maybe a few hands will go up but if you describe what date rape is then they'll start saying, oh, wait, I was in a situation where I was uncomfortable. Um, I mean, but I was his girlfriend, but, you know, or I was drunk or I mean, I've known this guy for so long, but I still remember I was not comfortable with what happened. Um, either I voiced it or I was coerced not to voice it. But there's a lot of misunderstanding of what rape is because it's been communicated for years as being in alleyways and it's this um, stranger who's a thug and it's violent and not many people talk about it when it's in a setting with somebody that you love have feelings for have known for a while and that really is day trip mm, and just to add on to what you've just said because um, I mean like you said it's in the mainly in the university space mm-hmm. um I remember in first year when we were had have a week. I don't know how you would describe it. It's like orientation week. Okay. Okay. Um, they acquaint you to like the things in the varsity. Um, they tell you about STDs and all these things that you'll get reckless sex. Yeah. Um, the language around it as well isn't so explicit. It's not like because people will say you must be careful of the men around you, um, X, Y, and Z. And then you sit there asking yourself, I mean, what could be so terrible about this guy who's sitting next to me, who's supposedly a friend of mine, until something happens and then you're like, oh, this is what they meant mm-hmm. when they said you have to be careful of um, the, the male counterparts around you. I think the language also is not as explicit as it needs to be when we talk about such situations such as date rape and social rape, who's more vulnerable in such situations um, when it comes to date date rape and social rape? Yeah, I mean, one thing to realize about the, the, the definitions is that survivors of rape can be male and can, can be female as well. However, when we look at two things, 
one is data we do have a lot more women who have survived rape right um mm-hmm. and then the second thing we need to look at is the the cultural context that we're living in and who are the vulnerable communities already in general before we even zero into issues around rape and it's women and children right mm-hmm. and so obviously in situations around um relationships and sexual violence you can imagine if um it's a setup where the perpetrator is you know the person who is funding maybe paying your school fees or is the person who you rely on for certain financial um needs you know that which is rampant because of the cultural context that we're in and because of that the women are vulnerable which is why going back to what you said about orientation week i think there needs to be a change in how the conversation is addressed you cannot be telling the most vulnerable communities to take care i don't even know what that means because it happens in our homes so if you can't be safe in your home right um yes. what does take care really mean i think the conversation really should be unpacking um what gives a man the audacity to do something like this there has been years and years and years of certain untrue truths that have been passed on in a cultural context to men um and it doesn't and time has shown that it 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 serves no purpose to tell women to take care the conversation needs to be with the with the perpetrators and again the data shows most of the perpetrators are men yes and then like you spoke about um universities as well being in university and the relationship um young girls and young males have in during that very cuz when I mean, you go to varsity it's yeah. like your first time being free from home mm-hmm. you're staying at res you're meeting new people who have different ideologies um i can only speak for a bit my i went to rhodes university um and how and it was i mean it was and you i don't know if you're aware of the dynamic in south africa mm-hmm. um it's a pretty white dominated um university um and a lot of the traditions in the varsity are from a colonial perspective yeah. so a lot of things like you said um things that are taught that are passed down are still happening right now in these universities. Um why do, what what are some of the other reasons do you think vast university spaces are um, a breeding grounds for such situations to happen? Um well it's the first if you if you think about it it's the first um space where just as the young women are getting free and you know you're out of that the confines of your home if you are living with your guardians or your parents is the same situation for the young men right um mm-hmm. and and you also have to investigate i don't know how it is in south africa but you have to investigate the teachings that have happened to um these young men um before they come into campus so for example in some communities in kenya when uh, when a, a young man hits a teenage age they are taken for a circumcision ritual and um in some of these 
because we have quite a few different tribes. I think, well, they're over 40. And in some of the mm-hmm. tribes, during this time, it's no women are allowed. It's, um, you know, your dad or your uncles and the, the young boys. You're told certain things about what a man should be, which includes, mm-hmm. you know, you should never cry. A man eats a lot of quantities. A man can withstand beating. And some will even go to the extent of beating up these young boys. And then when it comes to intergender um, relationships, a man, you know, you shouldn't listen to any woman. No woman can tell you anything. It's literally enforcing Mm -hmm. that um, you have authority over a woman's body. So when the young men then get into compass, they only execute what they know and what they have been told and how they have been groomed. And so it becomes a conversation where a lot of young men then see that they have authority over um, women's bodies, which is a bigger issue, honestly, if you think about it. Uh, Women's bodies have never really been ours. They're always rounded off to the nearest man. And so that is in encompass then what a young man has been taught is continued right and he's able to execute it i think we also have to think about rape culture and the conversations and the words we use again i'll just give an example in kenya young men around campus age and you'll see it on on social media and also um you'll hear them talk about it that if they buy Mm -hmm. a, a woman a drink in a club or a party setting, then they have a right to take her home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how she'll pay it back. And the and the slang and the words that they use, they basically say things like, in Kiswahili, which is our, our national language, umeweka shuabet. That is loosely saying, it's like a sports betting reference. Like you have put in money to bet. Mm-hmm. When are you going to make your returns? This all contributes to rape culture. And it then enforces that you have, as a young man, a right over this woman's body. There's no conversation over whether she says yes or no. No conversation on consent. It's that if I buy her a drink, she must return the favor with sex. Whether she wants to or not. If I invite her to my house and she comes, it means she wants to sleep with me. Mm. Um, And so these forms of rape culture are really, you know, the language and the slang and all of these things. You see a lot with a lot of young men in Kenya, I know for sure. I'm not sure about South Africa, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of rape culture and jokes and memes. And you see it on social media that further reinforce that, hey, as a man, I have the right to sleep with whoever I want. And she has no right to consent or not it's the same for us as well in south africa i think um as you said um men young men in your communities go to um go through circumcision and sort of a, a manhood um transformation teaching um yeah. the same thing happens with us as well um i'm Kosa and my um ethnic group um does the exact same thing um men go to the bush um no woman is allowed Mm. they get taught um how to be a man um 
I mean, I've never heard of, and I mean, because I think also because I live in the city, I've never heard of any extreme um, cases, but I'm sure there are. But a lot of those young men come back very arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, they they run the world, they rule the world. Um, they come back disrespecting sometimes even their own parents, you know, because yeah. they think they they are the man now that time homeboy can't even buy his own loaf of bread you know (laughs) so a lot of that does seep back into our society as well as if you go out um if you i mean and you know like growing up you naive sometimes to situation Yeah. yeah um because i mean i was fortunate enough to go to predominantly white schools um model c schools they called here in south africa um Mm -hmm. and you know when you go to i guess maybe because also i'm a girl when you go to these schools you are sort of um expected to behave differently you're expected to behave better than um so uh, a random guy in the township you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying Mm -hmm. then you find that it's the same um behavior as well within these schools like within these boys schools as well like the same breeding is happening in those environments and then they come to university i mean i have never in my life i mean i know sometimes our men can be really terrible but i have never in my life see like especially when it comes with alcohol involved um uh, a man and this time it was like a white man mm-hmm. scream his lungs out at this poor little girl <laughs> um busy saying to her like you you have to sleep with me i've been oh, dancing wow. with you all night you know um that was really my first time seeing that type of overt aggression um over a woman's body and you know this was like in first year yeah uh, first year um where where i think it's probably the most vulnerable time for young girls um in that space yeah for sure and you know a lot of things people look at a lot of sexual violence and harassment as um uh, disconnected fractions right and so we'll sit down and we look at all the rape statistics and we'll be like oh my god this is terrible blah 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 but it got there because we let street harassment go it got there because mm-hmm. we, we let rape culture go mm-hmm. we didn't just wake up one day and, and arrive here we let a lot go and letting it go means we reinforced it as a truth or something that is okay so what you're saying about you know a in the club setting and a man yelling it actually has become so rampant to the point where um you know i know of a, of a girl she's somebody who i know personally a man sent her a drink in a club a stranger she said no thanks i'm just here to have a good time with my girls and asked the waitress to send it back the man came and pushed her off the 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 bar stool because she had said no and so you'll find that in the various uh, talks that i've had with women um there are things that women do that men to keep themselves safe safe 
that men you know for them getting up in what they wear if they're going to you know the central business districts in Nairobi which is the capital of Kenya is it, they don't have to think about their safety but as a woman you think oh my god now what if i wear this it's going to attract a lot of attention and then if a man heckles me or cat calls me if i say no there's there's a potential of him being violent uh i think i'll just wear this long sweater and these these jeans yeah. and flat shoes that i can run in in case something like that happens women mm. put on headphones and these are young campus girls who are telling me this they wear headphones when they're walking around so that there's no music playing but so that if any man tries to catcall them you know and she doesn't respond he won't you they yeah, hope yeah. that he won't get aggressive because he'll be like oh maybe she's listened to music she didn't hear me and so we have to do all of these strange things to accommodate abusers and rapists isn't it easier mm. to you know get the rapists out of this setting <laughs> because even with all that we do we still end up getting raped getting raped yes um, yeah. and talking about like protecting ourselves I, because i've been i've been through rape twice um sorry, there sorry. was one uh, uh at the club um and i mean i think I, well i was too drunk and i mean i, I mean at some point i just woke up um from my drunkenness and then this guy was having sex with me mm. um and then from that point onwards I, i i remember myself um distinctively changing how i dressed when i would go out like i would really want to be like uh, the wallflower they call it mm. to try to protect myself and after the second time it happened i mean it was even worse like if it would be like who's Nico i am not there like at all so that attention you know comes to you because then now if you say something it might trigger something exactly um, and then it it's it just you go back to square one of your own personal emotional traumas that you've been through mm-hmm. and then also talking about alcohol um how do men use alcohol as weapons against us in such situations oh man they know that it alters it it alters your your ability to think straight it alters your ability to even speak depending on how much um alcohol um mm. especially in the campus setting it's used as bait come through for mm. this i'm i'm going to buy the alcohol right yes um And you know the the crazy thing is that you hear it even in songs. There is a popular mu- Kenyan music group and they they did a song where one of the the rappers in the group said in in Kiswahili of course but I'll translate. He said that he now I'm trying to translate the word but basically that he passes with with the ones who have blacked out. Ooh. Um Ooh. And you know, and it was a hit song. Hit song played oh, everywhere no. and people would dance until people started unpacking the lyrics and saying, "Wait a minute. This is strange and this is problematic." And it's a thing. It's a thing where men have jokes in some of their social circles about what drink will get her in the mood, you know? Mm. But if you have to use a drink to get someone in the mood, clearly they do not want to get in the mood with you right and so alcohol is a huge and and you know in campus especially 
because this is the point where you have all of this freedom and you have uh, there are all of these social engagements that are happening and you want to be it's almost like high school in the in the sense that you do want to fit in you do yeah. want to 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 be one with the people who are it and and it's really used as um a tool to kind of lure um women in and even older men outside of campus prey on young campus women still by using alcohol and 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 the problem persists even when you look at the older men who are not in campus and when they they prey on young campus girls what they use is alcohol and a good time and inviting young girls to parties where they know they have their ulterior motives and intentions and they use alcohol to lure them out so of course it's 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 a huge player in 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 the game and it's used across the board to kind of bring women to a point where um either they feel like it was their fault when they look back at it and think you know i was drunk so i was asking for it anyways or they can't remember and they think okay maybe i said yes um it just it's it's a, a way in which to disarm and and put a woman in a situation where they can easily take advantage of 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 the woman hmm. and just to go back to like the songs if you think about also american media um the jamie fox song with um uh, uh who's that guy t pain blaming on the alcohol yeah um, miguel how many drinks will it take you to leave with me you yeah. know it's so, um, it's so strange that you you and I'm glad we're having this conversation because then we all need to do some form of unlearning mm. in that we were dancing to these songs so we didn't interrogate hey this lyric i that I'm singing along to so loudly there's something that is not so right in it right but yes. you know it's never too late to unlearn and so conversations like this can really help people hold even musicians accountable because music is a huge influencer hmm media in general is mm-hmm. a huge influence on our day-to-day lives so True. i totally agree um and you spoke about alcohol being a, a way of um disarming uh the the survivor i like to call it as survivors instead of the victim um um the survivor um and then also in terms of the survivor how does this um make them feel a lack of validation um after once this has happened once they've been out with this guy or it's a group of friends because we also it doesn't necessarily have to be you and this guy alone in the setting mm-hmm. um with a group of friends um everyone has been drinking and then somehow um this happens but well, it's not somehow it does happen um your friend or your friend's friend takes advantage of you during that situation and then you wake up the next morning um like you said not remembering or feeling foggy about what happened yesterday how does alcohol make you make survivors feel a lack of validation like as if they don't have proof that this happened because yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean like because you know how you said in the in the streets somewhere like this happened in yeah. a so space 
I mean, I, I think the alcohol element, I think, um, does influence how the victim or survivor will feel. And I think we need to look at it in two ways. One is that you start blaming yourself because you start telling yourself things like it was my fault. If, if I hadn't drunk the alcohol or if I was not drunk, um, this would not have happened to me. And then you start wondering if you can even speak out about it because of that element of being drunk and wondering if people are really going to believe you, if people are going to say, well, you were drunk, so what do you even remember? Or saying that you're drunk and that being a question of your character because we've seen that happen, right? Mm -hmm. But I think also the second part is, is people's reactions, once they hear alcohol was involved in some way when a survivor speaks out about being raped and you will hear people saying ah she's those type of girls you know the party girls and things like that as though rape is only wrong when it happens to a particular profile of a woman right Hmm. The second thing is even in terms of seeking justice, there is stigma that survivors, I know for sure in Kenya, have faced when they go to our policemen here and want to report a rape. The moment you mention that you were drunk, the case is not taken seriously at all. Hmm. The moment you mention you were drunk, when you go to seek medical services, the case is not taken seriously. Because it's then, the blame is then placed on you. So now the issue becomes this young woman's drinking and not a rapist raped someone. And so they stigma on those two ends because you've been conditioned to believe that you're on the wrong because you're drunk or you're on the wrong because of what time were you, uh, you know, how could you be at a, a man's house at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m.? On top of that, being drunk. On top of that, you are wearing a miniskirt. You know, you've also grown up as a survivor in this environment that has enforced these lies. So you start blaming yourself um, based on certain things that really shouldn't be the case. Yes, yes. And, yeah. you know, um, we were also discussing, uh, my friends and I, how this also continues when you're like a young professional and you're trying to get into like a job space. Um, mm. I saw when I was also reading some articles um, about um, what's happening in Kenya. A lot of um, young girls as well who are trying to get into the job space are, are usually like solicited into having sex with these men who are promising them these positions or if you want to be do your articles here, mm -hmm. you need to go for this lunch. I don't know what, for you personally, um, I know for myself as well, because um, I mean, I'm 27, so I've recently um, got gotten into um, the, the full-on job market mm -hmm. um there's a lot of these lunches you get invited oh, yeah. to these men these lunches um should go out for drinks um how would you navigate how do you navigate that situation what what would you say to a nicole who just came in and was like um uh, a certain our manager just said we should go for lunch like what should i do yeah you know it's so interesting because um 
actually this this weekend going to be giving an address to some young campus students who are talking about sexual harassment and sexual harassment quickly becomes sexual assault data has shown that but people again i reiterate people disconnect these issues and they're very much married um and so in my experience, yes, I have had situations where, um, you know, somebody wants to meet about a deal um, and, and the, the person kept insisting that we meet in a club. I never understood it. So first I was like, even the aesthetics of, of, of a nightclub with the loud sounds and everything, what can we possibly discuss? Will we mm. even hear each other? You know, how can I present my pitch in a nightclub and of course this happened a little later in my career so i, I kind of knew um, that this is not a serious individual and so my my response was um you know he kept having his pa call me and say oh when can we meet let's meet at this club this club i finally once told the pa listen if your boss does not want to meet in a boardroom or if you guys seem not to have a boardroom i can a provide one but if he does not want to meet in a boardroom then this meeting will not happen because i will not meet someone in in a in a club not only because it's sinister but because it's just not even functional we will not hear each other it, people do not have meetings in clubs um yeah. i think what what was i was fortunate because i'm i you know being in the media a lot of these people don't want to be outed so they may not try certain things with you because they don't know how it can go but also being in the media i do know quite a few especially interns who come in and a lot of the managers are male and they will media houses at least in kenya well the top three organizations with rampant cases of sexual harassment mm. So what I would say, and I would love not to advise the survivors, but to advise all individuals, because I think it's important for all of us to know how important our voices are in this space. This is not a fight for a select few. It's not a fight only for survivors. It's for everybody who is a member of any community. It's to ask about the spaces where you work. Ask about the policies they have around sexual harassment start there because as far as i know i don't know about the laws in south africa but in kenya from 2007 it was a requirement if your organization has more than 20 people for you to actually have a policy and your policy mm. must show if it happens to me where do i go and report will my you know will you make sure that you don't out me so that i'm not stigmatized what are kind of like my rights as somebody who's reporting um a, a manager who's trying to take advantage of me and more and 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 know your rights right you do not have to be a woman a eh? you do not have to be a survivor to actually fight for a safer space in a workplace you just have to be a good human being and because I feel like most of the time, the responsibility of ending rape culture, creating safe spaces is really left to survivors, which is a bit unfair. Mm. And, and, and 
most of these spaces do actually need to have have these policies. I'll give another example. I'm not sure if it happened also in South Africa, but I know it happened in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, and I think Nigeria. The Campus Me Too campaigns. In Kenya, it was started by um, young campus students who were actually facing similar situations with their lecturers. And it was the whole sex for grades situation. And it was happening across the board. One in two female students experiences this. One in four male students experiences this. And they got together from different campuses, different universities completely. They got over 10,000 people to sign a petition. And this petition had actionable points. And they presented this um, petition last year, December, to different uh, representatives from the Ministry of Education and such. And that put pressure on these universities to actually have a policy just like the same policy that i'm asking for people to agitate for in their places of work so the call to action has got to be not just for survivors (laughs) Uh, because the perpetrators belong to certain social circles you know them sometimes you Mm -hmm. even interact with them have you called them out for their for their problematic behavior um that i think it's something we all have to say as as human beings, we have a responsibility. And talking about these policies um, with uh, like company policies, university policies, because I know in South Africa, our present and past presidents, presidents like to um, boast about how amazing our constitution is, how mm. everyone has equal rights, people are protected, you know. X, Y, X, Y, X, Y. But then you always find that within these rights, within these policies, somehow these institutions still continue to protect these perpetrators. Because Mm. in university, um, it said if someone does it once, they're probably going to do it like several times again before any real consequence happens to them. Same case happens in... um, corporate spaces or your creative environments like the media house that you're talking about um yeah. even in south africa um there uh there's a very well-known sports presenter who got fired because he stood up for the interns who said they were tired of being sexually harassed by producers just so that they can like have a gig or some sort of experience in the job so how how do we come back such situations where the, the the powers that be still choose to protect the perpetrators. Mm. I think um, one actionable point first is we have to arm ourselves with knowledge in all spheres um, of governance, and we see it a lot with our African governments. Is that they they thrive off of our ignorance. If you don't know a law or if you don't know a policy, you cannot hold that institution accountable because you don't know. You don't know what they're meant to be doing. So you also don't know when they are not doing what they're meant to be doing. Yes. So it's to take that initiative and say, hey, actually, the law says ABCD, which ends up protecting a perpetrator why is that there and how do we lobby for change what does that even look like right and to start asking those questions and having those conversations amongst ourselves because the law um you know i say this when when the protests in 
in in Kenya, well, the cases of police brutality during this curfew season started. I said this system was created like this. It's not broken. It was created like this. And so for us to understand that and say, okay, we need to change it. We have to know that system. We have to know what the problematic laws are and things like that. And the same applies for this issue is to know that there's an employment act. Okay. How does it protect me? Hmm. Okay. Why is my institution or my campus not, why do I have to protest to be safe as a campus student? I came to school to read, not to be on the streets. So why are you not keeping me safe? Right. And, and to take back that power. One resource that I always point people to is a website called beautifulrising.org. And it's basically a toolkit where you can see how people around the world, including African countries, have used their voices to change certain injustices or things that they thought were wrong. Because a lot of people, once they now arm themselves with knowledge, then ask, hey, what do I do with this knowledge? Like, how I'm just... Uh, third year student or second year student what now right so that's a very good toolbox and a, a place to see oh there are people who did a petition but mm. this is how these people um organized a protest or this is how they put um they used their various talents be it music or art to be able to rally for change it's important for somebody to, once they arm themselves with knowledge, know how to change certain things. What cannot be allowed anymore is ignorance because that's then what lets all of these things fly because you will not hold these institutions accountable if you do not know what they are meant to be doing. And also, just to, do you mind just also adding on um, because like how you said, there's also that blame game of why were you there in the middle of the mm. night? Why were you drinking? Why were you wearing a certain thing? Um, what what do you say to women who protect the system as well? Mm. This is the thing, um, especially the side of the world that we're in. We've grown up in a patriarchal society. We are still living in one. Mm. And for me, what I normally say is that the women who either protect abusers or victim shame or blame and engage in all of that madness, they too have been brought up in a patriarchal society. And my fight is a fight for them as well. I can't stop the fight for women's safety to fight them because I, I understand what they're, uh, you know, why they're saying that is because of the environment they were conditioned or brought up in for me it took a lot of unlearning and it took me going through this to be able to say hey there's a big problem in the way men view women and it costs us our lives right mm. so my fight is also for them they may not know it but it also includes them but i think also one thing to realize is the people who victim shame and victim blame men or women is to understand that this fight also protects them. It's a fight for them as well. Because you never know with the, the statistics when it's going to be you. You, yes. And the probability is high because of the statistics. If we're saying, at least in Kenya, one in three women, my God, that is very high. So, mm -hmm. so, so it's to understand that one day if this problem is not solved it will come knocking at your doorstep 
And lastly, there is no shame in unlearning. Because you are brought up believing one thing doesn't mean you have to keep hanging on to that belief forever. Even after you realize it's problematic, you don't have to keep believing it. It's never too late to unlearn. So you have to, one of my good friends keeps saying, people need to introspect. Ask yourself the things you think are true. When it comes to, if a woman dresses in such, in a set, in a miniskirt, for example, then I mean she's showing her thighs and a man can't, you know, he just is overcome with urges that he loses his senses and doesn't think about consent and rapes her. Is that a real rational, um, you know, strain of thoughts? One, so we are shifting blame completely. We're not holding this adult accountable. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two, there are women and mothers and grandmothers in full tra- religious um, attire that is a full cover-up who have still gotten raped. They did not have this miniskirt. Yes. So then how is it rational to say that this miniskirt is the one that propagates rape? You must ask yourself these questions. There are women who have been stone sober and they still get raped. There are women who have been raped in broad daylight in the morning Mm. and they still get raped. So then you must introspect and ask, okay, this thing that I'm saying, does it really make sense? Is it rational? But a lot of people don't want to do that. I'll tell you why. Because it hits so close to home. Yeah. Especially for men, the cost is so high. Because if you try and start calling out that bad behavior from another man who is in your squad or whatever, who is pushing himself on a woman and insisting and all of that, you know that there's a time that you have also blurred the lines. Yes. And so you don't want to do it. But then my question to them is this. The cost of you calling out this bad behavior is your social status. But the cost for a woman is her life. Hmm. What is more worthy? That's true. That is so true. Um, And to just track back a little bit when you say it can also happen to you. Recently, um, there was a case, there's a case that's happening right now of this young girl um, mm-hmm. from Soweto, who, Soweto is a, a, a township in Johannesburg, mm-hmm. um, who got hung by this um, guy. I'm not sure if it's her boyfriend or not. I tend to not follow a lot of the gender-based violence um, cases because I find it very triggering. Yeah. Um, but I got a, a, a whiff of it um, when I was watching the news. Um and she got hung by her boyfriend while she was like eight months pregnant. Oh my God. A random guy who did this to her. And her uncle, um, prior to this, there was a, a case where this girl got killed by her boyfriend, um, Garabo. Her name was Garabo. She got killed by her boyfriend. We're not quite sure why, but part of gender-based violence. And then the, the second case, the girl's uncle was like, um, Garabo probably deserved it. And he spoke very vocally about it, that what was Garabo doing? Or maybe um, she she didn't see the signs or she saw the signs and she chose to stay. So, I mean, it's her fault to die. And then he literally said at the funeral that he apologizes for speaking up 
like that because now death in that sense through gender based mm. violence his doorstep yeah so you're right we this is an issue that affects all of us oh yeah you really never know when it's going to happen to you or your sister or your even your own daughter you know or son or anyone in your family it's it 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 creates a, a better safer um coexisting community mm. i think um if we all take on the challenge as you've said we all need to take on the challenge and then just to sort of wrap up the conversation how do you think we can change this narrative of um lonely loneliness through this experience um blame um and all the the negative feelings that come with um social rape or rape in general um within our community um specifically as women i think it's um to have first honestly i must commend you is to have conversations like this because when you have conversations like this aside from um helping people unlearn you're also creating a safe space for a survivor to then reach out to you and say hey i also went through abcd because a lot of people say we need more survivors to speak out because then it'll help the movement it'll help us in fighting this thing but i always ask have you made this space safe enough for a survivor to speak out it's not enough to tell them to speak out they're already trying to navigate healing mm. how have you contributed to making this space safe for them and the space can be in your place of work it can be on your podcast and the things that you do on social media it can even be in your families and your group of friends how have you contributing have you contributed to make this space safe because when a survivor shares her story especially with social media and all you then see is the victim shaming and blaming battalion coming for her hmm. then what it communicates to other survivors is why the hell would i want to go through that as well on top of everything that i'm dealing with why should i it also then communicates to them they may have done a lot of work in trying to undo their victim blaming but then it just brings it right back when they start thinking okay even me what was i really doing at that man's house at 10 pm you know hmm. and so how we can then assist survivors not to blame themselves not to take on the shame or the blame that really needs to then be placed on perpetrators is to ensure that we contribute to making the spaces that we occupy as safe as possible for them we also need to contribute towards fighting for justice i think i need to applaud all i've Kenyan women on social media have really been doing an amazing job and South African women on social media as well in amplifying the fight against femicide against rape and mm. that is a contribution actually to fighting for justice but also fighting for the blame to be duly awarded to perpetrators 
that then communicates to survivors that actually wait it was not my fault it actually was not my fault and there's a whole tribe of people who will believe me when i come out and say this happened and on top of that will not shade me and so that's how we can contribute but also to survivors it's very hard to say this knowing the the, the politics around it there's a huge importance of psychosocial support and i say the politics in that you know we as africans take mental health to be a luxury even the yeah. way we price it it shows us that we really don't think that this is as important as a headache or a broken leg or all of those things, right? It's inaccessible. Mm. It's expensive. Yes. yes. But for survivors of trauma, it's necessary. It's not a luxury because there are things that have been broken and have been traumatized and trauma just resides in your body somehow. And you must be able to be given the tools to navigate your healing by a professional. And so if a survivor has access to, to, to therapy, I would say kindly go for it. If there's a way to get access to a hotline, we have a hotline here in Kenya, which is helping, especially during COVID. And it's a toll-free hotline. That's also helping. If you are a psychologist, can you do pro bono services for survivors who cannot afford it hmm. because then it will really help them move to a point of healing that they stop blaming themselves and start to piece together their lives again and so there's a way in which everybody's skill can contribute to making sure a survivor doesn't stay in a space where they're blaming themselves and there are very many articles if you're a, if you're a family member or a friend and somebody comes and confides in you that you know I got raped there are very many articles that will tell you some advice and key points in what you should consider in how you talk to them and how you can support them through it mm, and talking about access do you mind mm. explaining a little bit about your own initiative um safe 24/7 and how it sort of helps and aids um women who are going through such um situations yeah so safe 247 is um a project that my initiative is doing with our project partner called Carolina Fokibera and it was born out of two things one the costs um to to access therapy are just ridiculous um you know i'm working but i still have to think very hard about when i see the withdrawals that are made towards my 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 therapy costs not a lot of um insurance covers cover it so you really have to pay out of pocket mm-hmm. and so that was one thing the second thing was even when a survivor can afford therapy it's very scary because it's 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 a slightly new phenomena for us as africans so yeah. you're wondering what happens if i go there and this person is a distant relative now they know what i've gone through and nobody else know you know we have very strong reservation and valid reservations about therapy yes but in those instances group therapy has been known to be a good usher into one-on-one therapy. So Safe247 is a free group therapy program. 
And what we did is we I crowdfunded for it because I, I could not find a donor to put money behind this program. And so last year, during the 16 days of activism, I just asked people online to contribute. We managed to raise enough funds to start the first cohort. So our first step, because mental health is very important and has to be handled by trained professionals, is we got clinical psychologists to come on board, um, apply. <laughs> it was You're volunteering, but you also have to show that you know what you're doing. They yeah. applied, we did interviews, and we settled on a team of three clinical psychologists to come up with a curriculum that would guide the, the group therapy sessions which are 14 sessions once a week, so for 14 weeks. We then had a curriculum developer look at what the psychologists have drawn up and then put it into a format that is more of like a curriculum or a manual. At the same time, we drew up a toolbox or a toolkit, we call it, which has, it's basically in the form of a notebook where there are various coping mechanisms, exercises inside there, spaces where you could do the homework from different sessions, but also that after the sessions you can keep with you as a survivor that can help you when you face certain triggers. Um, because there's no, it's a privilege to have a smartphone. It's a privilege to be able to have all of these apps that I use certain apps, but we put it in form of a notebook just because we didn't want anybody to be left out. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so that is a framework of Safe 247. The idea behind it is to see it grow to a point where even you in South Africa can be able to go to our landing page, download the curriculum, pass certain objectives that we set for you to be able to run Safe 247 group therapy programs in your various communities. And so we're still in the initial phases, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's never been a program like this, shockingly, but we can already see the needs in various, and you know, the interesting thing is many people, especially in the NGO world, will go and put programs only in, in, in low economic uh, areas. Yes. But we know rape happens in, in, in the rich areas as well, in the middle class yeah. areas as well. And so this program then will have various um, bases that are not only, you know, looking at low economic areas and leaving out women who are experiencing it or have survived it from other backgrounds. Um, yeah, so, so so that in a nutshell is safe, safe 247. I think it's such a, a great, when I was reading um, up about it on your website, I think it was such a great um, initiative because like how you say um, therapy is expensive. Mm -hmm. um, in South Africa, I know quite a few medical aids do pay for it, but not everyone is on medical aid, you know, mm -hmm. so a lot of people have to pay cash um, for um, basic doctor services as well. So such initiatives are very important, I think, um, in our communities, whether it's lower income or class, because like you said, rape happens everywhere. Like, yeah. it doesn't have a face, place or, or, or name. Um, it really does happen everywhere. Do you have any closing words you'd like to part us with before we say goodbye to you? 
Um, I think all I would like to say is just to reiterate that the, the responsibility of ending rape and ending rape culture is not a responsibility solely for survivors. They can't keep dipping in and out of navigating their healing to solve a communal problem. And so for everybody listening to this, I think the take home is just for you to introspect and ask how can you contribute to, contribute to ending rape culture and ending rape and really evaluate whether right now are you helping end it are you helping let it thrive or are you just being silent and investigate why either of those options is happening um yeah that would be my call to action i oh, thank you so much adal um i've learned so much um and also just to hear the similarities in the situ um the situations that we all going through and i um as i said when i approached you that that's my biggest thing is like to have these conversations across africa to see yeah. where we fit and see where we um are different and you find that we actually are very similar um 99.9% yeah yeah <laughs> you know So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I really do appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and being candid and vulnerable in the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really did enjoy it. I really did. It was great. So that is it for this week's episode of Ugly Girls Club. See you next time.